0: During the month of March, we were privileged to be able to study together from God's Word the theme, Lord, Save Us. During those series of lessons, it was our desire to be able to look at the Scriptures and see how the Lord does save man and all the factors that were involved with asking the Lord to save us. I thought it was fitting and appropriate that as we begin this month, we think an idea regarding, Lord, help us to be your children. With a thought to begin with, Lord, teach us to pray. As a way of introduction, I'd like to point out to you that one of the greatest means of learning is watching someone else do something. There used to be a program that was very common in society which was called an apprenticeship where a person would work with someone in a trade or in a business for a period of time and watch him learn how to do it. In our society today, we have television shows that are DIY, do-it-yourself. I really enjoy those talking to my neighbor the other day and he had built him a compost heap and he said what you do you get on YouTube you find someone else who's already done it you watch what they have done and then you do that you know when you think about that it provides instruction how you do something if I want to know I want someone see someone else do it and then I can know how to do it but there's also the incentive that says I can do that. Many of you have thought there are things that were beyond your abilities. However, you've had someone to take some time and show you, you can do this. And then it becomes an incentive to try to do it. And I want you to think about us. As we study this subject of Lord teach us to pray, that we not only learn how it is that one prays properly to the Father, but that we also have an incentive that says maybe my prayer life has not been what it ought to have been and I am going to determine that I am going to do a better job of it. Jesus himself was a man of prayer. He has been and continues to be our perfect model in every facet of life. Jesus shows us how to reject temptation, and he shows us how to pray to the Father. And so we're going to study this morning, Lord teaches to pray, and we're going to look at three things, the participation of deity, the pattern for praying, and then practice makes perfect. Let's talk about, first of all, the participation of the Godhead in our prayers Too often we look at God the Father and we think only with regards to Him. But as we go through our Bibles, we see both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being participants in the prayers that we offer. Let's study that for just a moment. The Father is the one to whom we pray. That is, our prayers are addressed to God the Father. In Ephesians 3 and verse 14, Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We bow our knees to the Father. Now why is it the Father? Because of what Jesus said in John 16 and verse 23. He was giving his final statement to the apostles prior to his crucifixion. And he says, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father, in my name he will give you. Jesus' instruction was, is, you don't ask me. You ask the Father. He is the one to whom you should pray. However, Jesus is the one through whom we pray. As we have just observed from John 16, verse 23, he said, you ask the Father in my name. That involves Jesus providing the authority. However, we go to the Bible and we see numerous times that he is our mediator, he is our intercessor. For instance, Romans 8, verse 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. That is, as He is interceding on our behalf to the Father, the perfect one to do so, because He has been where we are. He has been where the Father is. He knows both and is a perfect intercessor. Or as 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus stands between us and the Father and is able to intercede and mediate for us. John puts it like this in 1 John 2 verse 1. My little children, these things I write unto you, that you may not sin, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is there as an advocate for us when we pray. But thirdly, the Holy Spirit is the one with whom... We pray. And when you think about the Holy Spirit and His role in our prayers, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, Paul writes, Likewise, also, or the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit Himself, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That means that as you and I pray, we recognize sometimes our inability to put into words what is within our heart. Have you ever had difficulty in expressing to someone else exactly how you feel? Have you ever had difficulty finding the right words to tell just exactly what you want to say? Why should we suppose that that is any different when we are trying to pour out our hearts to God? Well, what Paul says here is that the Spirit is there to help. Not in the sense of helping us express it, but in the sense of taking what is within our heart and expressing it to the Father. So the Holy Spirit is with us as we pray to the Father, in the ability to express to the Father the very thoughts and even the groanings which we cannot utter. But now I want to talk about a pattern for prayer. The disciples of Jesus came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so the Lord would say, after this manner, or pray like this, And so the Lord gives a pattern. And we want to just take the phrases for just a few moments and explore them and see what the Lord said. Our Father. Our Father. This is like a child petitioning his parent. As a child looks to the Father because of his dependency, looks to the Father and asks for the things that he needs, Listen as we read Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. To him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone, or if he asks for fish will give him a serpent, if then you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? A child to ask for bread, a child to ask for a fish. This is the kind of thing that a child dependent upon his parent would ask for. You and I, as God's children, are the only ones in the position to make those requests of God. Let me illustrate that. Several years ago, when our boys were young, quite frequently after services, the young people would be going to do something, and one of the boys would come up and say, Daddy, can I have some money? I'd open my billfold and take some money out and hand it to them. Somebody like Leonard would be standing around and say, Where's mine? And I'd say, you're not my child. That is, you're not my responsibility. You're not the one I'm to care for. We need to realize there is a privilege that now, as a child of God, we have the rights and the privileges to speak to our Father and to ask for our needs. So we say, our Father who is in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed. I don't know if you realize how important this aspect is within our prayers. Placing God in a position of honor and respect. Making God special in respecting Him. If you go back to the book of Leviticus, you'll find that Nadab and Abihu did not respect God. They offered strange fire before them, and fire came out of heaven and consumed them. And God had to take care of this matter. And I want you to listen to Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 3. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Those who come before me must regard me as holy. Some translations say, I must be hallowed. When you and I come before God in our prayers, our prayers ought to respect... God and how we speak to Him. The words that we choose. You know, I wouldn't speak to a judge in a courtroom the same way that I would joke with some of you. You do so, and the judge will reprimand you rather swiftly. He is to be respected. That's the reason why there's a, a practice in our country of saying, Your honor, giving respect to Him. When we pray, our prayers should reflect a level of honor and respect to whom we are speaking. The Creator, our Maker, and the Supreme Ruler of this universe. Your kingdom come. This is perhaps where the world today is in such a state of confusion. I've heard people say that we ought to pray this same prayer exactly as it was prayed in the first century by the when the Lord taught them to pray this. But the truth is, the kingdom has already come. Let me for a moment or two take a few passages of Scripture and try to understand this. In the book of Daniel, chapter 2, in verse 44, There was a vision that Nebuchadnezzar had been given and it involved four kingdoms. And he started with the Babylonian Empire. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are that head of gold. After that was going to come another one and then another. And then the days of these kings, the fourth kingdom, which happened to be the Roman Empire, he said the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. It shall stand forever. The Roman Empire ceased to exist about 1,700 years ago as far as a world power. Today, Rome is the capital city of a small country in Europe. It does not control or hold sway over the world as it once did. It doesn't make sense to think of in the days of those kings as referring to the end of time in some sort of a millennial kingdom. Let me take you to Matthew 4 verse 17. As our Lord began His personal ministry... Matthew records from that time Jesus began to preach and to say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The phrase at hand means it's near. It's going to come soon. But when I get to Colossians 1 and verse 13 He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You know what? Those of you who are God's children today are in the kingdom. You are there because God translated or conveyed you into that kingdom. In Hebrews twelve twenty-eight, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, same one spoken of by Daniel in chapter 2, verse 44, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence, And godly fear. The kingdom is here. And the kingdom is the church. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is done in heaven. If a person does not do God's will in heaven, they will be cast out. How do I know that? Satan was cast down. He attempted to usurp the will of God. God's will will be done in heaven. And we ought to pray that it be done here on earth. Let me explain to you how this might be involved in practicality. In James chapter 4, he discusses going into a city and buying and selling and making a profit. And each of us have our plans for what we want to do in our lives, things we want to accomplish. And James says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will both do this or do that. You see, God expects us to recognize His will in this world and try to live in harmony with it. In Ephesians 6 and verse 6, Paul writes, Not with thy service as men-pleasers, but bond-servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. We ought to be the kind of people who pray, God, we want your will to take place, and we do it because of God, not because of what someone else sees in us or thinks from us. We see it most often in the life of Jesus And should be in our own lives. 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter says therefore since Christ has suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh. For the lust of men. But for the will of God. You look and see what Jesus did. He lived for the will of God. What should we be doing? We should be living for the will of God. And we ought to be praying that God's will will be done here just like it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. You know, in our country, we're so blessed. Most of us, not only have food that we will be able to eat today, but if you open the refrigerator in most of our homes, there's a multiple amount of food to take care of us, not only today, but maybe for the next week, the next month. Some of you have freezers full of vegetables that you grew in the garden last year. Some of us may have some that, we, that was grown three or four years ago. But you see, the most of our world today doesn't live like that. The majority of our world lives from hand to mouth, from day to day, or as we might say in our society, from paycheck to paycheck. And you know that God, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness wandering, wanted them to be dependent upon Him. And so God provided them bread from heaven. Listen to Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. You see, God told them to gather enough for that day, not to gather more. If they did, it would rot. On the sixth day, they were to gather enough for two days so they would respect the Sabbath day. You drop down to verse 17. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack Every man gathered according to each one's need. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me what I need for today. We should never get to the point where we think like the rich man. We've had such a bountiful time. We say, I have much goods laid up for many years. Take. Ease, eat, drink, and be merry. We should recognize our dependence upon God the Father and be thankful for our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There is an important part of our prayers that says to God, God, I thank you for forgiving me and providing Jesus. And I ask you, Lord, for the things that I've said, the things that I've done, and the things that I have failed to do, please forgive. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. John writes, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is, you and I express to God, I'm sorry, I have sinned. And ask God's forgiveness. One of the hardest parts, however, is when we turn to our neighbors and our brethren and, And they ask us to forgive and we don't. At the end of a very valuable parable in Matthew chapter 18, where a man had shown no kind of compassion toward his fellow brother, Jesus said, So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you if you from your heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I like the way Ephesians four thirty two puts it, and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ, our God in Christ, forgave you. God was merciful to us, and we should be merciful to others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Will my prayers prevent some temptation? Yes. Let me ask you a question. Would you prefer to be tempted and then not give in? Or would you prefer to not be tempted at all? Because if I'm tempted ten times, I may give in one of those. But if I pray to avoid temptation, and I'm only tempted five times, and there's less possibility for me to give in. Now, not all temptation will be removed. But I want you to listen to Luke 22 and verses 40 and 46. When he came to the place, he said to them, that's Peter, James, and John, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Verse 46, then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. There's something about prayer that affects our being tempted. God providing for us perhaps a deliverance from that temptation. First 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And then Second Thessalonians 3.3 3, But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. I can pray to God and say, God, please deliver me from the devil. Deliver me from his temptations. And know that we have a God who hears and answers. Now let me observe from this that this prayer was neither long nor complicated. I'm afraid sometimes when we get the idea that we've got to pray or we need to pray or we want to pray, That I have to lead a prayer or pray a prayer that is long, that it has to have all these intricacies to it? This prayer is far less than a minute long. And that's the one the Lord taught the disciples to pray. If you go to Matthew 6, verses 5 through 7, the verses that precede Matthew's account, here's what Jesus said. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door... Pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think they will be heard for their many words. When you listen to what the Lord said there, vain repetitions, I don't need to say things over and over and over again. I need to express my wish in harmony with the will of God. And it does not have to be a long prayer to be an acceptable prayer. But I will add that God wants us to pray often. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Then He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not to lose heart. I need to pray more than once a day to express needs that I have for the occasion. And that's the reason why First Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Now, very quickly, I'm not going to dwell upon these. These are going to be very, very quickly. Jesus prayed often. And there's a lot that's contained within the prayers of our Lord. I want to draw attention to the fact that there are ten times the Lord prayed. And again, I just these are just things I just want to touch on. For instance, in Mark one in verse thirty five, as they set out to preach the gospel. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and prayed, or departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Just like he taught in Matthew 6, the prayers that were important to the Lord were ones where he went apart from everybody else. We're going to preach the gospel. Is it great for us to gather together and say a prayer together? Well, most certainly. But I emphasize it's much more important to pray our own prayer privately as individuals. In Luke 6 and verse 12, before choosing the twelve, we read in Luke 6, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. There was twelve men there. Each of them needed something in a prayer to the Father. In Mark 7, verses 32 through 34, before a man who was deaf and mute... We read that the Lord looked up to heaven there in verse 44 as he asked for his mouth and his ears to be open. In Luke 10 and verse 21, when the Lord was sending the disciples, the 70 out on the limited commission, that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Father, I am glad they have got these men. They're going to preach the gospel and that great limited commission. In Luke 11, verses 41 through 42, Jesus prayed to the Father so that those could know that he had done so by the power of the Father and that they would believe. In John 12, verses 27 and 28, he prayed for God to glorify him. And God answered by saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. And Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, the devil is going to tempt Peter. And Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren." Yes, the Lord prayed for specific people and their specific needs. In John 17, the whole chapter is a prayer. You drop down to verses 20 and 21. Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe on me through their word that they all may be one, Father, as you are in me, and I in you that the world may believe that you sent me. And Luke twenty two forty two and 43, strength to do the Father's will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And then Luke 23, verse 34, among a few things that Jesus said while he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, when I bring all this together, I realize that prayer is a privilege. It's a means by which God has given us to approach Him. We ought to use it. There's power in prayer. God listens and God responds. Not always the way we expect, but God does listen and God does respond. But prayer must be respected for what it is. It is not a substitute for obedience. God expects us to obey. This morning, if you'll take your songbook book out, it's now time for us to enter a portion of our service where the Lord's invitation is extended. The Lord looks at us as a part of His creation. And His extent extends to us an invitation to come to Him on His terms. For those of you who are not Christians here this morning, the Lord bids you to come to Him and become one of His children because you believe that He's the Christ, you repent of the sins you committed, you confess your faith in Him, And then be baptized in His name for the remission of sins. And if you are one of God's children and there's sin in your life and you want us to pray with you and for you for that, we will. If it is a private sin and you need to take care of it, then you need to do as we've studied today. Approach God and ask God to forgive you. If you need to respond in either way, would you come as we stand and sing?